Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your comments and questions. However, we normally don't have enough time to get around to all the questions that get sent in. But if you sent in one of those fun questions and you tipped in to support the channel, I want to make sure you don't have to wait too long to get those questions answered. So we gather them up and we address them here on companion videos and uh yeah this is how you get one of these questions and guys if you have a question for the show that you want read on the john campus show or in one of these companion videos simply go down to the description of this video and you'll see a tip link you can click on it there or enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movie blog tv slash tip you'll be getting your question read on a show if we consider your question appropriate to be used on our show and of course you'll be supporting our channel at the same time and all of us involved with the John Campia Show. Thank you guys so much for your support. Okay. We had a big, like, three-hour-long episode earlier today. Still a lot of questions to go, so let's not waste any more time and get right to it and start getting caught up on your questions, shall we? And we're going to start getting caught up here with this dude here. And this dude here writes, Hey, John and team, you have inspired me to start a streaming series. That's awesome. Not movie-based, but it's singing songs and telling stories. Very cool. But your professionalism is what I want to emulate. Thanks for everything. Ray is awesome. Keep it filthy. Well, thank you so much for that, this dude. And, and listen, by the way, I you always hear me say it. I always encourage fans to get involved in their fandom more by starting a blog or a podcast or a YouTube channel. It doesn't matter if you have two people reading it or listening to it or watching it or 2000. It's just something that gets you more engaged with the object of your fandom. And it gives you an opportunity to give back to the fan community that you enjoy so much as well. So I'm glad you're doing that. This dude here. All right. Next up, Cardo, the bassist writes, everyone's overthinking Jack. This is in Hawk. I assume is both uncle and the Ronin who killed Maya's dad for easier control of uh, TSM. I guess that's Tracksuit Mafia. Uh, it would explain the sword collection and his swordsman side. They're only teased. Listen, I personally think there's a good chance Jack is Ronin, but I don't think he's uncle. Like swordsman is generally a good guy. So I think he's actually taking out uncle's men. I don't think he'd be uncle while also taking out uncle's men. So it might be neither and maybe one or the other, but I don't personally think it's both, but we'll find out soon enough, Cardo. Thanks for writing that in, man. Next up, uh, Ape Mac Noge writes, uh, Sup, Jonathan. I thought Disney shortened their theatrical window to 45 days. So wouldn't that mean Eternals is going to be at least three weeks late to arrive on Disney Plus? Only Encanto was given an even shorter window of 30 days, but what's the case with uh, Eternals? Okay, so here's the thing. It's just like before. Before the pandemic, the theatrical window was 90 days. But that doesn't mean that as soon as the 90 days are up, they automatically put those things up and available for home video right away. It just means they can if they want to. They're going to release for home video, be it on streaming or physical media or whatever, on a date that they think works best for them. And if they think that's 60 days after release, and that's what they're going to do. The 45-day window just means once those 45 days are up, they can put it up on the 45th day or you know, any time thereafter. So it's not going up late. It's just like it was before. The 90-day window didn't mean as soon as 90 days was up, that's when it became available. They still remember. The home release is almost as, well, I mean, it's not nearly as important, but it's kind of the same kind of importance. You know what I mean? 
as picking your release date. You want to make it available at a strategic time when you think you're going to get most bang for your buck. So it'll be close to the 45 days always, but and a lot of times, if not most of the time, it will be 45 days, but it can often be, you'll see many times, it'll be after the 45 days too. It just means as soon as 45 days are up, that's when they're available to do it. All right. Thanks for the question, man. Next up, uh, Damien Luneman writes, with Star Wars Eclipse and the news of the Acolyte, I'm so happy we're getting more High Republic material and bringing it to the screen. Uh, it'll put more eyes on the new era and hopefully start to create brand new Star Wars stories. See, I agree. My one hesitancy is I don't feel like High Republic is far enough away. Because what did they ultimately say it was like 200 years? I'm much rather Old Republic and getting like 2,000 years before it. Like Yoda is still around in the High Republic era, right? So it's not quite distant enough. I wish they'd gone a little bit further away, but hey, let's see if this stuff turns out to be awesome, man. I mean, I'm very, very excited about Acolyte and uh, we'll just see how that goes. All right. Thanks for running that in, Damien. Next up, Hector G writes, hello all. If Toby and Andrew appear in No Way Home, it's safe to assume that it'll be spoiled after critic screenings. My prediction is that a trailer with all three Spider-Men will appear prior to those screenings. Do you think Sony would do that? Well, here's the thing. The critic screenings are tonight. The world premiere and critic screenings are tonight. And the last time I checked, there has been no trailer. I Even though I really thought there was going to be a third trailer, I ended up eating a plate of ketchup on eggs as a result of my being wrong. But I really thought there would have been. There hasn't been, so doesn't look like that's going to happen. I wish Sony had done it, but they didn't. So, you know, we'll just, we'll see what happens from here on out, Hector. All right, next up. Joey uh, Librator writes, Hey, John, I never got to hear your take on Last Night in Soho. I thought it was a brilliant blend of psychedelic thriller and horror. Also a huge fan of Matt Smith. What were your thoughts on it? Thanks. I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, it certainly not doesn't rank up there amongst my favorite Edgar Wright films. Of course, Edgar Wright is one of my favorite directors. I love just about every one of his films. And I liked Last Night in Soho. Uh, I don't want to give away any spoilers for people who haven't seen it yet. Um, but it's it's difficult. <sighs> I, again, I, I don't want to go into details. I'll just say I liked it, but I think it actually might be my least favorite of the Edgar Wright films, to be honest with you. But he certainly goes way outside of his box, right? Edgar Wright is not a filmmaker who's afraid to try new and different things. And uh, I mean, Last Night in Soho is just another great example of that. So yeah, I liked it. Didn't love it. That's my take on it. All right, next up, Sam Fisher writes, when you pre-order a ticket, that money obviously goes to the first week's box office. Uh, but what about things like A-List? Does a pre-order ticket go towards the week of release, three ticket quota, or the week you bought it it three the you bought it three ticket quota? Okay, so here's the thing. Your if you pre-order a ticket, your ticket counts towards whatever day you order the ticket for. So if you if you bought a ticket in advance for opening weekend, that's when it counts towards. If you buy a ticket in advance for the sixth day, that doesn't count towards the opening weekend. That counts towards the sixth day. As far as things like A-list, here's how this works. When you, quote unquote, buy a ticket with your A-list, and for those of you who don't know, A-list is a membership program at AMC Theaters that gets you three movies a week. In any format, whatever, you get three movies a week, so 12 movies a month roughly. When I use my A-list to reserve a ticket, for instance, this weekend, I've got two tickets. I went to go see uh, 
being the Ricardos and West Side Story. So let's take West Side Story. When I reserved my ticket for West Side Story using A-List, and I got my ticket for that, AMC counts that as like roughly a $10 ticket purchase. It doesn't matter how much tickets actually cost at that AMC theater. They charge, they, they pretend like I bought a ticket for what the national average ticket price is, and which is right around $10, right? So even though I get the ticket for free, AMC treats it as if it were a $10 ticket purchase. And so of that pretend $10 ticket purchase, they owe back to the studios, whatever the studios cut normally is. And that's how they do it in accounting. So in terms of how the box office is counted, $10 would be counted towards the box office. So if me and 10 other people used our AMC A-lists to go see West Side Story, it would count as $100 towards the box office. So I hope that clears that up a little bit. I mean, it's a little bit more involved than that. I'm oversimplifying it, but that gives you a basic idea, Sam. All right, good question, man. Next up, Sam Fisher also writes, Looks like Marvel is bringing Captain Carter into the comics. Uh, is this the fastest you've seen a Harley Quinning? A phrase came up with naming the taking of a character created for a non-comic book uh, medium being brought into comics of a character. Uh, I guess. It, to me, it's completely irrelevant. I don't really care what they do with Captain Carter. I don't think there's any real significance to that. Um, like, I am more of a comic book. Like, look, I have lost count of how many comic books I've read in my life. But, I mean, not as many as John Schnepp or Robert Meyer Burnett have, but I've, I've read a hell of a lot. But um, that's not my primary concern is not the comics. My primary concern is really the comic material that comes to the screen. So I don't really care what they do with Captain Carter. Uh, I'm not really sure what other characters they've done it for. But honestly, for me, Sam, there's really no significance to it at all. But that's just my kind of take on it. All right. Next up, Razzie Prime writes, one of two. Hi, John and company. John. I was right there with you about the Game Awards. I've been watching it for years, and quite honestly, by comparison, last night's was an atrocious mess. From the few in-person awards given uh, out and being forced off the stage, uh, the disrespectful rattling off of nearly every award, the awful runtime, and the disingenuous message about supporting industry abuse victims, then cutting to the Star Wars trailer from Quantic Dream, whose studio head is known for fostering abuse. Well, I... Listen, I know nothing about that, so I'm not going to comment on that because I don't know anything about that. I will say, though, as somebody who was looking forward to watching the Game Awards, and, and, and I understand a lot of people watch the Game Awards to see what the previews of the new games coming out are. I get that. But at the end of the day, it's still the Game Awards. The fact that they went 27 minutes without handing out a single award and then said then rifled off four awards in like under a minute. Like not even reading out the names of the nominees. They just say, here are the nominees for best role-playing game. And just on screen, a list of names will come up. And the winner is blah, 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 blah. And now here are the nominees for this award. Doesn't even say the name of the nominees. It just pops up on a graphic. And the winner is here are the next nominees for this award. And boom, 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 boom. 27 minutes of commercials and trailers. One minute just throwing awards out as fast as they can. It is called the Game Awards, right? Like, it's supposed to be the night to celebrate excellence in gaming, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying 
there shouldn't be a lot of time dedicated to previewing of upcoming games. But that show was over three hours. And you know what? I said 20-something minutes. I wouldn't doubt it at all if it was 15 minutes or less of that show was actually honoring the nominees and the winners. Three-plus hours, less than 15 minutes of it, probably right around 15 minutes, it was actually about the awards. And you're right. I found it incredibly disrespectful that they would just bring up a bad, by the way, here's this category, not even do the dignity of naming the nominees of saying the names of the nominees. Here are the nominees for this. And the winner is bang. Here's the nominees for this. And here's the winner bang. And they don't even say the name of the nominee. You're right. I, I thought it was pretty disrespectful. And I think they need to adjust this a little bit. I get, still keep a good focus on the previewing of the new games. Absolutely. But as far as I'm, this is still called the game awards, right? Maybe it should be, I don't know, call me crazy about game awards. Eh, call me nuts. All right, next up, uh, Cami Egan writes, I just saw that Mike Nesmith, oh yeah, this happened the other day, from The Monkees passed away today. Uh, I love the TV show and saw Mickey at the Fest for Beatles fans a few years ago. Uh, were you a fan of the show and did you enjoy their music? I mean, obviously it was a show that was a little bit before my time, but I did watch reruns. When I was growing up, I watched Monkees reruns. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys, and people say we monkey around. We're too busy singing to bring anybody down. We're just trying to be friendly. Yeah, I, I used to watch that as a kid for sure. Absolutely, I did. Um, and it was really sad to hear about Mike Nesmith's passing away. All right, next up, Hosea writes, I just want to brag, in Indonesia, Spider-Man No Way Home comes out on the 15th of December. Yeah, you, Hosea, and a bunch of other countries are actually getting it on the 15th, you know, 48 hours before we get it here in North America. I hope you guys have a good time, though. All right, next up, uh, R.O. Yar writes, wait, Ray and Kim are siblings? No, Ray and Anne are siblings. You probably meant to write Anne. Uh, John and Ray are brothers-in-law? Yes. Uh, how the hell did I miss this? I always thought Ray and Anne, by the way, Anne does not have an E on it. Anne is just A-N-N. -N. There you go. Uh, looked alike, but I didn't want to make any assumptions. Now I understand why you guys connect so well. It's the family dynamic. So yes, I, you know, it's funny. I don't, it's hard for me to know or understand why people don't know that. Like I often, I for always, for years, I've always referred to Ray as my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law, Ray, our graphics guy, my brother-in-law, Ray, even before he's ever on camera with us. But yes, Ray, we, he's, we're family. We're brother-in-laws. We're brothers. Uh, I am married to Ray's sister um, and we are family. So yes, there you go. And that's where uh, Anne gets her sense of humor. Ray is Anne's kuya. He is her big brother. And uh, yeah, there we go. We're family. All right, next up. Uh, we've got Clint Baker who writes, hey gang. I've been obsessed with Vulture, an MCU character, being in Morbius. How? Is he a variant? Do the universes get fused together? Does it take place before Doctor Strange slash Wanda repair the multiverse? Does he get a portal over for Sinister Six? Oh, who knows? Like, there's nothing technically officially saying that the Michael Keaton we saw in the Morbius trailer is even Vulture. Might be a totally different character. I mean, come on, none of us believe that. But I'm just saying it's a possibility, I, su I suppose. But how he's there, is he just Morbius's universe's version of Vulture? Is the same thing that suddenly flashed uh, Venom into a different universe? Did that happen to Vulture as well? 
Was he maybe just hanging out in his uh, prison cell and all of a sudden he blinks and there's a flash of light and all of a sudden he's in a different universe altogether and it's Morbius's universe? Maybe. I mean, that's a possibility. We'll find out soon enough. All right. Good question, Clint. All right. Next up. Dangerous D writes. Hey, John, I know this is an unusual subject to discuss, but I think Green Lantern, which I'm a huge fan of, has a lot of similarities with Star Wars as Jedi. Uh, both use ancient weapons, lightsabers and power uh, and power, lightsabers and power rings. Both Jedi and Gr- Green Lanterns are protectors of the galaxy. Uh, both have cocky pilots who think they're the best and has a giant friend who looks like an animal. Hound Solo uh, and Chewbacca, Hal Jordan and Kilowog. I don't think those are those are similar situations at all, but whatever. Uh, both enemies use anger and hate to fuel their power. Sith red, uh, Sith slash red lanterns. Both Han and Hal and Hal uh, have their uh, significant others are destined to have powers of their own. Leia and Carol both have a young Jedi. Both have a young Jedi slash. Uh, both have a young Jedi uh, lantern destined to become a significant power. On the side, on their side, Luke slash Kyle Rayner. Both have cool bounty hunters, Boba Fett, Lobo. Sorry I went on too long. Thoughts. I I think it's a bit of, to be honest with you, Dangerous, I think it's a bit of a stretch. I think you can take almost any um, comic book story, whatever, and say that one is like Star Wars. Both have this, and then you kind of stretch a little bit. Like, I don't think you can compare Kilowog to Chewbacca uh, at all. Um, and saying, well, they both have pilots. I don't think that's a real thing, but listen, but it does highlight that throughout all these stories, sci-fi adventure, comic books, whatnot, there are classic elements of the hero's journey that will be similar and have similar threads through a lot of different storytelling. So it's not surprising that you can find those in Green Lantern and Star Wars, but you can also probably find them very easily between, you know, Green Lantern and Aragon or or something along those lines, right? Or Indiana Jones and something like that. You could probably, if you really look for it, you can probably find some similar threads too. So I don't think it's unique at all to Green Lantern and Star Wars, but something a little bit more common, you know what I'm saying? All right, thanks for writing that in, Dangerous. All right, next up, Garden Variety Vagabond writes, John, Andrew Garfield was cheeky when he reacted to a Google top Andrew Garfield searches. His exact quote from is Andrew Garfield playing Spider-Man again was, yeah, uh, you almost got me. Nah, no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Pregnant pause. Crying out loud. So you can read that literally that he was in fact not crying out loud uh, and is Nilt saying, oh, and is you probably meant to write not saying he is not in the movie. It makes me want to review all the exact quotes to see if he loopholes like this. I, I, I'm going to be frank with you, Garden Variety. You're reading way too much into it. You're reading way too much. Look, he's either in it or he's not. And you're not going to look. And I don't understand why we're even talking about this. Everybody has known forever that they're both in it. I don't know why we're still playing this game of, well, let's see what he says here and let's see what he says here. Four months ago, a video came out, a a video came out, got released online and many videos were made about it of Andrew Garfield on set in the Spider-Man costume shooting the movie. I don't know why we're still even talking about this. Now, who knows? Maybe we won't go watch the movie on Thursday and they're not in it, I suppose, but... I don't even know why it's a topic we're still talking about. We all assume they're going to be in the movie. And trying to dissect each syllable of what Andrew Garfield says in an interview 
it's kind of, it's a stretch. It's a little bit of a stretch, my brother. So I would, I wouldn't worry about it at all. All right. Next up, uh, big brass bowls writes, Hey John, where can I go watch your movie, your movie trailer documentary? Oh, I'm glad you asked. And do you have any funny or interesting stories about the process of making the film during the production post, etc.? Thanks. Well, let me, uh, get this here. Hold on a second. Uh, movie trailers, a love story. Um, let me see if I can bring this up on Amazon here. Uh, here we go. That's it right there. My movie movie trailers, a love story, uh, is available on Amazon for now. I don't think it's available everywhere in the world right now, but it is available on Amazon. If you live in the UK, if you live in, I believe in Canada, if you live in the U S definitely simply go onto Amazon and search for, there's some video of the trailer playing in the background and search for movie trailers, a love story. So if you go on there and search for that, you should be able to find it. If you live in just about any other country around the world, it's on Vimeo. And if you, in the description of this video will be a link to that. So if you go into the description of this video, there will be a link to uh, to where you can get it. If you don't live in the United States or the UK or stuff like that, there is a link down there where you can go and get it on Vimeo. But for everybody else, it is available on, um, on Amazon. So you can go and find it there. So that's where you can find it. So I'm glad you asked that. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to plug my movie. Uh, as far as funny stories go, I, I really don't think I had a lot of... I don't remember. It was a very, very straightforward... I mean... Listen, I'll, I'll, I'll compliment myself here for a second. It was a very straightforward, very well-planned, very well-scheduled production. Um, and so there wasn't a lot of crazy. I mean, obviously when I go to Chris Gore's house and I'm interviewing him, we have, a, we have a lot of laughs off camera or whatever. Obviously when I'm over at Greg Alba's, we have a lot of laughs off camera together, but I mean, any specific funny stories, not really, not really. That I can think of off the top of my head. I don't know. Maybe if I talk to fact checker Jonathan or Rob or something like that, they might remember something that I'm forgetting right now, but not off the top of my head. But thank you for giving me the opportunity, Big Brass, to plug my little movie there. All right. Next up, we got great Grabthar's Hammer, who writes, uh, fun trivia for the new Sonic movie. Knuckles, the, in, I never know how to pronounce this, in, in, in Kadena, I don't know. I've never known how to say it right. Anyway, debuted in 1994. Idris Elba's earliest known performance on camera was also in 1994, playing the small part of pizza delivery guy in the sci-fi cop show Space Precinct. Now Idris voices Knuckles. I don't know that he happened to have his same first appearance in the same year that another character came out. I don't know that's a lot, but it is. By the way, I didn't think when they announced that Idris Elba was going to do the voice of Knuckles. I'll be honest with you. I didn't think the voice was going to work for that character. But then when I saw it in the trailer, totally worked for me. Totally worked for me. Thanks for sending that in, great Grabthars. All right, next up, Jonathan writes, I just saw West Side. Great story overall. Lots of songs. I was like, I know this. Never saw an adaptation before, by the way. Romance, not as great. Oh, I thought the romance was wonderful. I'm an older, I'm older than the girl by like... I'm by like four years. Ansel is older than me by like five years, I think. So uh, watching those two was like watching my little sister date her teacher. Oh, uh, not at all. Kind of awkward and creepy. Not at all. Uh, but the Jets versus the Sharks was great. Directing beautiful songs. Pretty good. Grade B minus. Not my top fave of the year, but good enough for me. By the way, no, it's they are roughly the same age in the movie. 
They're roughly the same in the movie. That's all that counts. And Ansel looks pretty young. She does look really young, though. And I, I don't even know how, how young she is. I don't even know what her actual age is. Hold on a second. Yeah, it's actually not that big of a difference. Ansel Elgort is 27. She's 20, going on 21 here. So there's like a six and a half year age difference between the actors, which that isn't all that much, really. And the more importantly, the characters are supposed to be the same. So I don't know why that was distracting. But like I said, even in real life, there's only like six and a half years age difference. So I don't know what the deal is. Yeah, for me, it's easily the best movie of the year. Like, I, I thought this was a superior movie to Dune, to A Quiet Place 2, to um, Shang-Chi, to everything else I've seen this year. I, I think West Side Story, a movie I have not been excited about and I was not looking forward to, uh, I think it's the best movie of the year. But hey, man, you had your feelings on it and your feelings are no less valid than mine. Thank you for sharing your perspective on it, Jonathan. I appreciate it, man. All right. Next up, we go to Yaz, who writes... I'm being hypocritical. I love my lengthy Marvel movies, but blockbusters are trending longer lately. House of Gucci, James Bond, and Last Duel don't need to be 150 minutes. Tighten that shit up. That's not, that's not what hypocritical is. Hypocritical is when you yourself actively preach against something and then you yourself go out and do that. So like what would be hypocritical is if you stood on a soapbox and said, no movie should be over 150 minutes. And then next week you shoot a movie that's over 150 minutes. That's hypocritical. Liking some movies that are longer and other movies that are not is not hypocritical. However, uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Look, I honestly think most movies need to be tightened up. I really do. I think directors fall too in love with their own material and don't know how to do the very difficult task of taking the razor and cutting out certain scenes to serve the movie, make it tighter, give it better pace, all that kind of stuff. More is not better, right? Better is better. And if you're a movie like, I don't know, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, where, no, actually this all this material makes the movie better and flow better, putting in more, like having all this three hours of material, that does make the flow of the movie have great pace and really tight and all that kind of stuff. Whereas a movie like The Irishman, I thought you easily could have cut 45 minutes out of that movie and not lost any of the important stuff. I thought you easily could have cut 30 to 45 minutes out of that movie. I still like The Irishman a lot. Like you guys have seen me talk about it many times. Still, that was a movie that to me could have been reduced a whole ton. More does not equal better. More just equals more. Better equals better. And every movie has its own unique runtime. But I, I got to agree with you. Yes, I find most of the time when movies run long, I feel like, yeah, this needed to be tightened up. I kind of err on that side of things, but that's just me. All right. Thanks for sending that in, man. Next up. Anonymous writes, do you think China's blocking of major movies will lead to studios like Disney intentionally censoring slash changing their content to pander to the Chinese government? If so, at what point does it become a disservice to the audience fans? Okay, so here's the problem, Anonymous. You're, you're talking about a hypothetical. You're asking if this hypothetical happens and then this hypothetical, ha hypothetical happens as a result of that, could it lead to a third hypothetical? Look, there's something important to understand here. Disney has not blocked any movies. Disney. China has not blocked any movies. China has always had a policy that only X number of movies every year, they set a number every year, only a certain number of American movies get to play in China each year. That's it. 
They, it's never been just any movie that wants to play in China can play in China. And the only thing that stops your movie from playing China, playing in China is if your movie gets blocked. They never blocked Shang-Chi. They never blocked Eternals. They never blocked uh, Suicide Squad. They are, and they're not blocking this. It's just that they're not giving them approval. As like I believe this year only like 20 something movies got approval out of the like several hundreds of films only like 20 something of them got approved and most a lot of them were mostly indie films. So it's not like they looked at that and said, no, you, this movie doesn't get to it. The biggest thing right now is diplomatic relations be between China and the U.S. And as the article in Deadline pointed out that it's only going to get stricter as the U.S. is about to boycott the Winter Olympics in China. And that's just going to make China even tighten it up to have even fewer American films play in there. But so, no, listen, every movie is made to pander to an audience. That's, that's just the reality. Usually filmmakers are making their films to pander to American audiences. Sometimes they'll make them to pander to some international audiences it's it's not a crazy theory that in business you make your product as appealing to as big of a market as you can if you're making a type of cell phone and china is a market that's open to you and but you find out in china they the consumers there really like their phones that have a blue tint to it instead of a gray tint, well, guess what you're going to do? You're going to make a bunch of phones that have a blue tint to it because that's business. You're trying to sell your product. All, all movies are made to pander to certain audiences. Some are made to pander to, you know, older audiences. Some are made to pander to younger audiences. Some are made to pander to comic book loving audiences. Some are made to pander to mystery loving audiences. There are, some are made to pander to people who lean right politically. Some movies are made to pander to those who lean left politically. Every movie is made to pander. Look, movies are a product. They're art. But in the business, they're also a product. And as a product, they, they want to make them to sell as much as they can. But do I see... Warner Brothers or Paramount or Disney or whatever going, okay, so now Wolverine speaks Chinese, only speaks Chinese now. And yeah, no, I don't see them ever doing that. No, I, I don't see them doing that. But again, the reality is every movie censors some things of themselves, put some things in their movies, take some things out, to pander to a certain audience. You know, we just talked on the show the other day about Seth the Rogan talking about how, like, all of his movies he's made, there's always a studio telling him he can't have certain things in it because it's not going to go over well with the audience. This won't fly with this demographic, and if you have this in, it won't fly with that. And Seth Rogen was talking about he totally gets it. That's the business. Like, there are some things I may want to put in that I can't put in and blah, blah, blah. That's pandering. But everything about selling product is pandering to a degree. If you want somebody to like your product, you're going to try to do what you can to make it as appealing to them as possible. But again, the big problem here is not that China is blocking 
you know, what's the movie we're talking about right here? It's not they're not blocking Spider-Man. They're just tightening up and shrinking the number of films from the U.S. that they'll allow to come in. It's more of a political thing than it is an artistic thing. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Anonymous. It's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. All right. Next up. Dangerous D writes. Hey, John, reports say Shazam, Zach Levi, may be making an appearance on the Flash movie that's coming out next year. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to skip right there. What reports? Gus's movie reviews dot fart. Yeah, we don't talk about, we're not, I'm not going to waste our time talking about that. Look, Zach Levi, Shazam is in the DCU. Anybody in the DCU could legitimately pop up in the, in the Flash movie. I mean, that's, that's not a big thing, but I, 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 do me a favor, guys. And this is for everybody, not just for Dangerous D. I'm just using Dangerous D as a good example here. So thank you for letting me do this, Dangerous. Um, is don't write into me just saying, reports say, where did you hear it? Maybe start thinking to write in where you heard it from. Because reports say, because I find a lot, what we film fans do is, they read some tweet from an anonymous viewer on Reddit that was shared through Instagram and people say, reports say, you know what I mean? Where did you hear that from? Anyway, uh, let, let me finish reading what you're writing, though. Appearance Flash is coming out next year. At this moment, there are no further details on how or why Shazam would show up, but I'm so hype. Is DC taking a Marvel playbook? I don't see how having a character in the DCEU showing up in another DCEU movie is Marvel's playbook. Uh, that's not Marvel's playbook. That's just, that's happened a lot of storytelling. So, um, yeah, and again, who cares? It's probably nothing. Anyway, Dangerous D also writes, Hey, John, a teaser trailer for the upcoming series, Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty on HBO Max, about the legendary Showtime Lakers and their Oni Jerry Buss, played by John C. Riley, Jason Segel as Pat Riley, uh, directed by Adam McKay. Will you watch? Oh, absolutely. I think it looked great. That trailer was awesome. And, you know, I used to watch Dr. Jerry Buss. Uh, he was an avid poker player. And so he would often go and play in the big, high-profile, high-stakes poker games against some big poker pros. He was a really good poker player. Like he wasn't as good as Phil Ivey or Phil Helmuth, but he was a really good player, and he had all the money in the world. And so I used to like watching Dr. Buss play that. But yeah, I think it looks amazing. What an incredible story to tell. The Showtime Lakers, I'm definitely going to watch. I think it looks great, Dangerous. All right, next up, we got uh, Atene Bellamare writes, Hey, John. None of us has seen Spider-Man No Way Home yet, but I was wondering, do you believe we will see Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield in future Marvel Spider-Man projects? Nope. Uh, also, what would be your perfect cast as today for Fantastic Four? Thanks. Well, listen, uh, Ed Tenney, just so you know, you've always heard me say this. I don't do X actor and X role stuff, so I don't do fantasy castings. Um, but I no, I don't believe Toby and Andrew. Look. Toby Maguire is what I, I keep. I want to say 44 years old at this point. Hey, Google, how old is Toby Maguire? I know. Sorry, he's 46 years old. I don't think you're making more Spider-Man movies with Toby Maguire at 46. I think he can make an appearance. I think Andrew Garfield can come back and make an appearance. He's 30 something. Hey, Google, how old is Andrew Garfield? I say 34, 35. He's not saying. Uh, hey, Siri, how old is Andrew Garfield? See, Andrew Garfield is 38 years old. He's 38, so he's approaching 40. So 
I, but it's not just their ages. I just don't think they're coming back. I, I think they're going to appear in this movie. It's going to be a fun little thing. Boom, boom, boom. But then I think that's it. Like all these things about they're planning a new Tobey Maguire trilogy, Spider-Man films. Hey, look, anything's possible. I, I concede anything is possible. But if you're asking me if I think that's what's going to happen. No, I don't. All right. As Sean B writes, is it possible? We'll just pause you right there for a second. Whenever you start a question with, is it possible? The answer is always yes, it's possible. Whatever you're about to ask, the answer is yes, it's possible. Uh, is it possible that Kate's mom called in a favor from Valentina and the moment we see Elena at Natasha's grave was actually right after that phone call? Since she is head of Bishop Security, I imagine she has the necessary connections to make such a call. I mean, it's possible. I think highly unlikely, though. I think her appearance was different because you got to remember, there's only like a two-hour time lapse between... When Kate's mom makes that phone call and when the fight on the roof happens and Yelena was nowhere near, was nowhere near New York City when her and Valentina were having that conversation as, as far as I remember. So I think it's highly possible. Yes, possible. But there's a difference between possible and probable. I, I find that to be very, very improbable. But who knows? I, I mean, listen, it's all there. So maybe we'll find out probably tomorrow night. I'm excited about the Sean. Thanks for writing in, man. Next up, Jamie from New Zealand writes, Hey, John, just wondering if you have a favorite New Zealand film, either set in New Zealand or by a New Zealand director. Well, I mean, I, I Lord of the Rings films by Peter Jackson. I mean, that's that's where I got to go first time, every time. And I'll be honest with you. A lot of films I'm not usually aware, unless they're Canadian films or Korean, I'm usually not aware if a certain movie was a New Zealand film or an Australian film or a English film. Or a, I'm not usually aware. I don't pay a lot of attention to that. Maybe I should because I do when it's Canada, but um, I don't normally pay a lot of attention to it. But I, even if I knew all of them, considering I believe the Lord of the Rings films are amongst the greatest films ever made, I would probably have to say New Zealand director Peter Jackson, probably that that would probably be my answer to that, Jamie. All right. Next up. An anonymous viewer writes. Hey, John, have you seen 8-Bit Christmas on HBO? I have not. Really great new Christmas classic, in my opinion. Have you seen it? And if so, what are your thoughts as it's as it's close to a Christmas story? And I know you don't like that particular Christmas movie. Thanks and Merry Christmas. Well, unfortunately, Anonymous, I've never heard of 8-Bit Christmas. Uh, I feel bad about that. But since I've never heard of 8-Bit Christmas... I can't give you my opinion of it, unfortunately. I don't even know anything about it. So I can't comment on that. But hey, for the rest of you guys, have you guys seen 8-Bit Christmas? If so, jump into the comments. Let Anonymous know what you, what you think of it. And do you think it's something I should watch? The rest of you, is this something I should watch? All right, next up. Uh, legend are your, qua your quids. Legend are you quids. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. Anyway, uh, Hawkeye has re... Let me try that again. Hawkeye has been my favorite hero since three. So I got to take advantage of everyone talking about him, but I feel the watch could maybe lead to Nick Fury and lead into secret invasion since he has been retired. Um, that's not the craziest theory legend. That's not the nuttiest theory. I don't personally think they're going in that direction. Like, I, I, I don't think this is going to have any, I, this is going to be its own story. 
There may be a mild tie-in here, but I really don't see the whole purpose of Hawkeye is to lead into secret invasion. We are two-thirds of the way through this show. There has not been the slightest hint that this has anything to do with secret invasion. But again, I mean, Hawkeye's clearly, he has worked for Nick Fury for a long time. He knows Nick Fury. It's not a crazy theory to say that that could be it. I don't think it is, personally, but it's not a crazy theory, Legend. Let's see what happens over the next two episodes. All right. Next up, we got for Ofex Sake writes, Hey, John and gang. Uh, obviously, it's just me right now. Had had my ticket for No Way Home for Wednesday, but even though I've been vaccinated, decided not to go. The Omicron variant uh, going through the population too quickly here in the UK. Although I might be safe, I still can get it and pass it on. Uh, I feel sorry for the kids in charge of the theaters trying to mandate distance and mask wearing. I've had two people in my family uh, to covid I've had two people in my life to COVID and I'm hoping to spend Christmas with my family. Guys, really don't use numbers instead of letters because I'm not quite sure which way you're trying to mean the word. And I've had two people in my family to COVID and I hoping and I hoping to spend Christmas with my family who are vulnerable. Risk is too great. Just have to wait for 40 days. Um, However, if it was the new Batman movie, I think I would have foregone Christmas with the family and stayed home with my dog. Only joking. Uh, that's the movie I'm most looking forward to. But anyway, people stay safe and Ray should be your Santa. Merry Christmas. Listen, for fact's sake, uh, number one, always make the, your decisions based on your priorities. And obviously the health and safety of your family take precedent. And, and we don't have the same problem with the Omicron variant right now here as you guys do have overseas. So you make the decision important for your family. But more importantly than that, I agree with you. Um, while I am super excited for No Way Home, like ridiculously excited for No Way Home, I am more excited for the Batman. The Batman is what I am more excited about. Um, and that's not me reducing my enthusiasm for Spider-Man No Way Home in the least. It's just that that's how excited I am for the Batman. That's how crazy excited I am for the Batman. So I'm kind of with you on that. All right. Let's see. Next up, we've got EVH1984 writes, you ever seen Capricorn 1 with James Brolin? Oh, that is the one with good Canadian kid uh, Elliot Gould. That's with Elliot Gould is that one. Anyway, uh, though it might have the worst final scene in movie history, it's really good. Oh, no, it's no, no, EVH is not really good. At least I don't personally think so. Puzzle Why was never remade. Rights issues. And what ranks uh, for you as the worst final scene slash ending of great films you've seen? Oh, I have no idea. I, I would have to. That's not something I can answer off the top of my head. I'd have to think about that. But. Yeah, so if I'm remembering it correctly, and I could be remembering this wrong, because, I mean, I was a child when this movie came out. I think I saw it. If I'm thinking of the right movie, and I might not be thinking of the right movie. This is the one where what's about, like, the fake moon landing. If, is that the one I'm thinking of, the one with Elliot Gould? Anyway, yeah. If Now, granted, it's been a long time since I saw it. If I even saw the whole thing. So maybe if I watched it today... Maybe I would think differently, but I don't remember feeling really fondly of that movie, to be honest with you. But listen, um, there was a, another movie made not too long ago that kind of borrowed thematically 
from Capricorn one. And it was with, um, it was with Dustin Hoffman and Robert De Niro. And it was called wag the dog. I mean, it's a very different movie, but just thematically, it kind of shared some things there. Wag the Dog is really good. If you've never seen Wag the Dog, you should check it out. But yeah, I I don't remember thinking of that movie so fondly, H, but I'm glad you liked it, brother. All right, next up, and this will be our last question tonight, guys. This one comes to us from our friend Dex Starr, who writes, Hello, hope all is well. All is well, Dex. Thank you for asking. So, with Delroy Lindo's casting, before Whistler, Blade actu- Blade's actual mentor was a black jazz musician slash vampire hunter named Jamal Offrey. It's crazy how he's been practically erased from canon, but as a black comic fan, I'm not surprised. Well, I mean, here's the thing, though. There are many things in comic books that had a certain origin but that origin has been changed over the years, right? Um, for example, it's not swapping out a character, but for example, the reason Lex Luthor originally in the comic books, the reason Lex Luthor hated Superman was because they were doing some kind of an experiment together that went badly that ended in Lex Luthor losing his hair and he just got his hate on for Superman because he was bald. That sounds ridiculous, but that's comic history. Uh, They've changed all that, right? You know, a lot of us think of Green Lantern and we think of the original Green Lantern as being Hal Jordan, but he wasn't. But in all the storytelling, like he's kind of like Earth's first big thing. That's who we think of. But really, there was another Green Lantern before that. Um, And the same is true of a lot of characters. A lot of characters once had like one kind of origin, but then over the decades and decades and decades and decades and decades, that origin kind of gets shifted and changed a bit. So... If it's happened to Blade, it's not unique to Blade. I wouldn't be surprised. But listen, that does match up, and maybe that's who Delroy Lindo is playing. I mean, personally, I think he would make an excellent Whistler character. I think him as Whistler would be great, but they could be going in a different direction. We'll see what they do with that, Dex. It's a great thing to bring up, man. All right. That'll do it, guys, for this installment of the companion video. Thank you so much for being here and joining me for this. And listen, there are still more questions to come. Questions from The Sock, uh, Scott Brown, Ahmed Z, and others. Do not worry, guys. We will pick up right where we left off on the John Campius show tomorrow. So if you sent in a question, haven't heard an answer yet, hang tight. It's coming. But for now, guys, that'll do it for this installment of the companion video. Thanks so much for being here. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.